is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of February 13th, 2023. We had some Jeopardy. But before we get there, Emily, how are you doing? I, I'm hanging in there. We had a stomach virus in my house this week. Yay. So that was that was fun. We had a range of manifestations from very dramatic to one person who still might get it, but who knows. And everybody who's had it has recovered enough to push forward with, with the vacation plan. So we're leaving on vacation tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I have been watching The Last of Us. And, oh my god, it's so good! That's what I've heard. It's the the third. Have you have you seen any of it? I have not watched it. The, no. the third episode almost functions like a standalone movie, and it is like it may be the single best episode of television I've ever seen. Wow! Yeah, I heard uh, Nick Offerman was really good. Yes, yeah, it's the it's the one with Nick Offerman. Yeah, great, great, great episode. I think it was the third episode. Pretty sure it was the third. So that that's me. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well <laughs> over the last month, either from sickness or conference, other like snow days or other things. It's it's been like a month since I worked a full week, like five days uh, mm-hmm. until this week. And man, I tell you what, it's not great. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little little more tired, a little more worn out. Uh, yeah, but, but it was fine. It was, it was a fine week. Yeah, uh, that's just nothing really eventful. Mm-hmm. But here we are. In terms of video games, I mentioned last week, I think, that I started playing Hades. Nice. And I have been very much enjoying it. So much so that I considered texting you and being like, hey, let's just not record. And instead, I'll just play Hades. <laughs> I get that. Nothing nothing very dramatic in my video game universe. It's Stardew Valley replay continues. I thought I would stop when I sort of hit the main goals. And now I just I'm just playing along just enjoying my little farm. Uh, Oh, (laughs) you in Stardew Valley, you can you can marry an NPC. There are six six men and six women who are full for marriage in in the game. If you are for each woman a bouquet or offer each man a bouquet and they accept and then you level up you continue to like level up your romance to the full mm-hmm. 10 hearts you then get a cut like scene. in real life yes you then get a if if you do it with all of them you then get a cut scene where they have talked amongst themselves and all found out that you're dating all of them and they're mad at you yes. which is not what my actual life was ever like, but I <laughs> <laughs> decided to do it in Stardew Valley <laughs> and it was fun. It was a fun nice. cutscene. Look at you, you um, heartbreaker. I did it with all of the, all of the female NPCs who are eligible for marriage and all of the male NPCs. Well, you should. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just exploring all the game content now. That's right. And, <laughs> and growing parsnips. It's fun. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, let's, Let's get into Jeopardy shows. Yeah, that's what we're here for. So, Monday, February 13th, we have the contestants Jeff Payne, a retired Army officer from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Kendra Westerhouse, a licensed psychologist from Pocatello, Idaho. And Mira Hayward, a writer from Portland, Oregon, whose two-day cash winnings total $37,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are First Lady Firsts, Breast 
Budapest and Bucharest, logos, party on, TV catchphrases, and word history. I have never thought the $1,000 level of word history. Lewis Carroll coined this word, perhaps as a portmanteau of chuckle and snort. Kendra got that. That's chortle. I mm-hmm. knew that. Like, I know that. But I have never thought that the word chortle properly, like, fits. Like, I feel like that word does not fit what a chortle is. Right. They yes. don't seem to match. Because you kind of, I don't know, I realize other words are not, they're not actually onomatopoetic, but... It just feels like chortle has the wrong kind of sound for yeah a chortle. I associate a chortle like with almost more like 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 kind of a like like a high pitched like bell like laugh. Yeah, right? like when a when a baby thinks something is really funny, you know. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I like. That. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, you're right. Chortle. Chortle does not seem like a like a combination of chuckle and snort to me. I, I didn't actually know that, that Lewis Carroll had coined it. Yeah. Memorizing Jabberwocky, though, will get you will get you some Jeopardy points. It will. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one and, and, and Proof Rock. <laughs> yes, which I yeah, think came up this week. comes up this week. Again, like mm-hmm. it does. All right. Daily Double number one is in word history at the $600 level. And Jeff finds it at the sixth pick. He is at zero. So he's lost some and then come back up, right? Is that how that worked out? That he yeah, hit with so. zero? Yeah. So he's at zero. Mira is at 800 and Kendra is at 1,000. He wagered 1,000, which is the maximum, as well he should. And he gets the clue ret- reviewing a murder mystery in 1930. Donald Gordon coined this inquisitive three words in one word for a detective story. And he gets it right. It's a whodunit. A whodunit. Yes. And the three of them stick pretty close to each other through much of this round. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, they are, they're, they're really close. Kendra's in the lead with 5,800. Mira's at 5,600. Jeff is at 5,000. The double Jeopardy categories are lawyer billboards. They're entitled with any quotation marks, botany, airport's name for people, also a measurement, and Bob Dylan lyrics. I do not consider myself a Bob Dylan aficionado, but I knew at least the top three of the Bob Dylan lyrics. I did. I also knew the top. Yeah. Bottom two were deeper cuts. They were. That's all they should be. That's the way it should be. Yeah. Always be. So $400. Hey, hey, this guy play a song for me. I'm not sleepy and there is no place I'm going to. That's Mr. Tambourine Man. That was a triple stumper. Mira guessed Piano Man. That's the, mm. that's Billy Joel. Um, William Joel, yes. Yes. And Kendra t- tried who is Joe. Joe Mama. Yeah. Ken says we had some Jimi Hendrix, Billy Joel confusion. The $800 level of Bob Dylan I only knew because it was the, the theme song for a TV show I liked. What was that TV show called? Was it called Parenthood? I think it was called Parenthood. Craig T. Nelson? Yes. He was one of the people. <laughs> My wife loves those shows. Yeah. And I, that's fine. Yeah. You can enjoy them. Yeah. Lauren Graham, Dax Shepard, that other guy whose name I can never remember, but I like him. Oh yeah. Him. Uh, Peter, Peter Krause. Krause, Krause, Krause. I don't sure. know. That, that one. It was a good show. 
Mira um, oh, Mira Newcolt and Whitehead wrote Nickel Boys. Nice. The the Nickel Boys. She didn't include the in her response, but that's fine. Yeah. Because there's no other work. Pretty sure the Nickel Boys has come up in the last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's apparently Colson Whitehead is the most important author to know. It's if you're going on yeah. It is an important book and he's an important author, but it's overrepresented. So like, I mean, seriously, if you're going on Jeopardy, like take a minute and learn Colson Whitehead because they just keep writing Colson Whitehead questions. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in the their entitled category at the $1,200 level. Pick number five, Kendra finds it. She is at 7,000, Mira's at 6,400. Jeff is at 5,400 and she wagers 2,000. Gets the clue. Author Richard Wright played the role of Bigger Thomas in a 1951 film based on this novel of his. And she gets it right with what is Native Son, which I believe I, I believe we have talked about knowing Native Son also. Yes. Yes, so, we have. Title to know. Mm-hmm. And Daily Double number three comes up almost at the end of the round at the 28th pick. It's in that Bob Dylan lyrics category at the $1,600 level. And Kendra finds it. She has 15,000 at this point with Mira at 14,400 and Jeff at 13,000. They've kept this game very close. She wagers 3,000 and gets the clue singing about this comic who died in 1966. He didn't commit any crime. He just had the insight to rip off the lid before it's time. And she gets it correct. It's Lenny Bruce. Although I think as a point of order, I believe he did commit a crime. Yeah. I believe it was against the law. Mm-hmm. Like whether the law was right or wrong, that, that's a different issue. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, again, everyone is close. Uh, Mira is at 14,800, Kendra's at 18,000, and Jeff is at 13,000. And the final Jeopardy category is words from World War I. The clue is cistern and reservoir were suggested names for a secret invention, but the British preferred this less clumsy monosyllable. Jeff wrote, what is tank? And that is correct. And he wagered everything. Mira wrote, what is water? Which is not monosyllabic. Mm, Yeah. But it's not nothing. And wagered 4,000. And Kendra also got it correct with what is tank. And wagered 11,601, which is a cover bet. And thus wins the game. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Tuesday when we have the contestants Blaine Smith, a writer and communications consultant from Portland, Oregon, Lauren Bell, an executive assistant from Lakeland, Florida, and Kendra Westerhouse, a licensed psychologist from Pocatello, Idaho, whose one-day cash winnings totaled $29,601. And the Jeopardy round categories are it happened on Valentine's Day, Portrait of a Lady, State Trees, Come on, get hoppy, anagrammed college subjects, and TV show titles in Spanish. TV I, show titles in Spanish at the uh, at the four hundred dollar level. La Casa de Entierro. It's the kind of establishment where a dos metros bajo tierra took place. Hopefully, my Spanish pronunciation was not terrible. That was a triple stumper. It's a funeral home where six feet under took place, also with Peter Krause. So this is a spot Peter Krause cast now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what anywhere, we're doing here today. Anywhere we can find the Krauss. Yes. Those anagrams were trickier for me than anagrams usually are. Or I mm-hmm. should say anagrams on Jeopardy usually are. There are some, there are 
some tricky anagrams out there, but uh, my my brain had a hard time parsing it. I don't know if it's just yeah. because of like I don't yeah I don't know I don't know, but it, it just couldn't do it. So it was very impressive to me that you know they they were all cr- answered correctly and fairly quickly too. Yeah, they were tricky. Yeah, like what are stars made of? Cozy harpists. You know, like my brain can go to astrophysics. Yeah. But trying to look at the letters and be like, does that fit? Something about harpists like redirects me toward fine arts in a way that is hard to fight. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like that could be, yeah. It's like it's like looking at oh gosh, what is it? When when a when the name of a color is printed and the like in a mm-hmm. different color of like you know like but the right. te- like the font is a different color right like you print the word blue but you print it in red yeah it, it it felt sort of like that yeah so they did a good job yeah the the four hundred dollar level of come on get hoppy at the twenty twenty Olympics Pedro P Pichardo leapt and bounded and leaped a long way. To win this event, almost fifty nine feet, and Blaine ring in and said, "What's the bullfrog?" And I, I don't. Is the bullfrog an Olympic event? I don't know. I don't know all of the Olympic events, mm-hmm. so it could be. I don't know. But that was a triple jump. Kendra got it. I wonder mm-hmm. if I. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm curious as to where he, <laughs> where he got that. Yeah, it's just interesting to me that that was a. It caught me off guard. Anyway, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. I, 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 I'm i Googling, trying to see if there's something I should know, and I'm not figuring out where he, you know, where, where that came from for him. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. Makes me feel better. Daily Double number one is in the state trees category. I did pretty well in this category. Oh, yeah. I feel, feel good about uh-huh. state nice. trees. $1,000 level, pick number 11. Kendra finds it. She's at 1,200, Lawrence at 800, Blaine's at 2,000, and she bets it all. Gets the clue, these two giant trees share the designation for the giant state of California. And she gets it correct with what are the redwood and the sequoia. Mm-hmm. Which, remember, sequoia is one of the few words that has all five vowels in English. Yes. Which I forget all the time. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Kendra's in the lead at 7,000, Lauren is at 5,400, Blaine is at 2,400. We have the Double Jeopardy categories. The Film Independent Spirit Awards, Ye Old British Money, Phrase Connectors, The River, Born to Run, and The Ghost of Tom Joad. Uh, Phrase Connectors was kind of like a before and after. You just had to give the one in the middle that provided it. Like a $400 was hat, blank, or treat, and that's trick. I liked that category. We had a we had a couple of very justifiable be more specifics this week, mm. including at the two thousand dollar level of Born to Run. In nineteen sixty five, he entered politics and won a seat as the member for Mount Royal. Three years later, he was Prime Minister of Canada. Blaine said, "Who is Trudeau?" Ken said, "More specifically." And Blaine got it right with Pierre Trudeau. Trudeau. Yes. Yeah, it's a very justified be more specific, but also. Unless the category or clue specifically calls for a full name, in which case, if you don't provide the full name, you'll automatically be ruled incorrect. Always just start with the last name. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. If you provide the first name and it's wrong, then you will be ruled wrong. And unless you are specifically required to provide the full name by the category or clue, if you provide the full name and they want more specificity, they will ask for it. Exactly. And they might just 
forget and give it to you. Right. Like Make every single time work. somebody rings in with who is Bach. I always like to mention Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is another one of my, my pet topics. He came up at the $1,200 level of the Film Independent Spirit Awards, a question sung and asked by Mr. Rogers for decades was the title of this documentary winner about the man in 2019. And it's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Mm-hmm. It was a great documentary. I yeah. liked it. Yeah. I saw it in the middle of the day by myself in a, you know, and like, just like you, like you could hear everybody weeping in the theater. Mm. <laughs> it was a good moment. Yeah. Yeah. Daily double number two is at pick number 21 at the $1,600 level of the river. And Kendra finds it. She has 13,800. She's in a solid lead. Lauren's at 6,200. Blaine is at 7,600. She wagers 3,000 and gets the clue. Texas's Declaration of Independence was signed in Washington. Washington on this river, named for the arms of God. She tries what is the Rio Grande as the Brazos River. And then three clues later, she finds Daily Double number three at the $1,600 level of yield British money. The scores have not really changed. Blaine has gone down to 6400 and she's at 12800 Wagers 2000 gets a clue. A pound note, or the Latin word for what? And she gets correct with what is quid. Mm-hmm. So she makes back most of that. 3,000. Yep. So in the end of the double Jeopardy round, Kendra has, oh, a lock tie with Mm 17,600. Blaine is at 8,800, exactly half of Kendra's total. And Lauren is at 5,000. The final Jeopardy category is art and science. And the clue is a craft that visited it was named for Giotto based on the story that 680 years earlier, the painter depicted it as the star of Bethlehem. I had a hard time parsing this one. Yeah, it was, there were a lot of it's. Yep. Yes. A lot of it's. I mean, I guess there were only two, but it, it, yeah, that made it, it made it hard to figure out where it was pointing. Yes. And the, the other thing that threw me for a bit of a loop is that I guess Giotto is a painter, but not, not one that I like just sort of knew off the top of my head. And so I was like, well, that's, does he like, that sounds like a, could be a first name, could be a last. Like, are mm-hmm. they are they are they providing the first name, and you're supposed to come up with the last name? Is that what? Yeah. Like, who? Like, who are we? Like, what are? Like, what is this question asking for? Mm-hmm. And like the the single named painter, and the like abundance of its, I think, made me confused about what what are we looking for here? Right. Uh, are we looking for a person's name? Are we looking for? a that the it where the craft visited are we looking for a title of a work right like it just it just took me a while to kind of work my way through it mm-hmm. lauren tried what is jupiter that is incorrect she wagered everything five thousand drops her down to zero blaine tried what is polaris that is also incorrect blaine wagered 8700 all but a hundred we're in a lock tie here and so if you're in second place in a locked high, you should probably go all in. Because if you're in first place, your decision is wager zero and risk going to a tiebreaker or make some kind of wager mm-hmm. and have a chance of winning outright, have a high, better chance, guarantee that you win outright if you get it correct. Right. Yeah. So if you're in second place, you should go all in. Mm-hmm. because 
if first place has opted for zero, that gets you to the tiebreaker. Right. Anyway, but Blaine, Blaine missed it with a with an eighty seven hundred dollar wager, so it drops down to one hundred. And Kendra had it correct with what is Haley's comet. Ken noted that she spelled it with one L and it should be two L's. Although I seem to remember reading that Haley spelled his name different ways over the years. Anyway, Kendra, Kendra didn't wager anything. So she stays at 17,600 and gets her second win. Yep. And then it brings us to Wednesday. We have the contestants Jason Carpenter, a fast food worker and stand-up comedian from Santa Rosa Valley, California, Stephen Webb, a data scientist from Longmont, Colorado, and Kendra Westerhouse, a licensed psychologist from Pocatello, Idaho, whose two-day cash winnings total 47201 We've had two Colorado people this week. Mm-hmm. And the Jeopardy round categories are Landmarks, The Class Menagerie, On a Stamp, ACC School History, a decade of number one hits tells a story. You'll tell, you got to name the decade. And serving tea for three. Correct responses have three T's. Mm-hmm. Such as anti-disestablishmentarianism at the $400 level. You would think that naming the decade for the hits would not be that difficult, but oh, I struggled with it. Mm. The contestants got three of them on the first try. Yeah, and ended up getting all of them at you know on the rebound. But yeah, but yeah, it was it was a bit trickier, especially since they give you three titles to be able to, even to just place one of them sh- should seem like it would be easy. But yeah, yeah. I agree. It was a little bit a little bit trickier than would be. Yeah. Otherwise, Stephen ran the ACC school history category from bottom to top. Mm hmm. He knows his ACC school history. And after Ken pointed that out, he like shook his head and was like, oh, now I have to pick something. <laughs> Which I I appreciate. It's like, oh, yeah, that was nice. Now, oh, now I have to go somewhere that I feel less confident. Yep. We had the school that I, I've married into a big fan family of, of Clemson at University mm-hmm. and football in particular, although I don't know, also basketball. Football. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they came up at the $800 level of that ACC school history category. Yep. It's always fun. The inverted Jenny was a triple stumper at the $600 yes. level of on a stamp. One of the most valuable U.S. stamps is the inverted this, the female nickname of the Curtis JN4 shown upside down. Mm-hmm. We had a philately deep dive did we not we did we did i i I, yes that was that was one of mine and it's in the back catalog it is yeah so if you were if you didn't know the the inverted jenny go find out about the inverted jenny i guess is Mm -hmm. what i'm saying daily double number one is in acc school school history at the 600 dollar level and steven finds it as he is running the category from bottom to top he finds it at the fourth pick of the round he's at 2000 at this point kendra and jason are both at zero and steven makes it a true daily double he gets the clue in 1926 this southern school enrolled about 650 full-time students but of all things a hurricane nearly put it out of business and he gets it correct it's the university of miami yeah good guess for a hurricane Mm -hmm. yeah so at the end of the Jeopardy round. Kendra's at 2,800. Steven's at 5,600. Jason is in the lead with 6,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are I Have an Idea, TV Party Tonight, Crafts, 
love conquers and all. Aww. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> the $400 level of TV party tonight. Dwight buys brown and gray balloons to match <laughs> yes. the conference room carpet for Kelly's birthday party on this show. Yes. It's the office. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Great. It is your birthday. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I, like I like to wish people happy birthday with that. Yeah. <laughs> The $2,000 level of love, of course, is another thing we love to harp on mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm. Do I dare to eat a peach? Muses the middle-aged man in this T.S. Eliot poem. It's the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And Kendra had, I thought, a bit of a smirk as she got it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if she listens to our podcast, but I liked to think to myself, she's smirking because we're always saying you because need to know the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Yes. Every, everything is because of us. We're so it's, important. It's us. We're very we, important. We matter. Yeah. I did have a similar thought though. At least when it came up, I was like, huh, we are vindicated. Mm -hmm. Vindicated, I say. Constant Prufrock. It just, yes. it's just, it just never stops. There's just so it. much, yep. mm -hmm. so much proof rock. But in the conquerors category at the $400 level, with the help of crusaders who had stopped in Porto, which should port, point you to Portugal, in 1147, Alfonso I took this city, later a capital, from the Moors. Jason ran in, guess what is Algiers? That's Lisbon. And then two clues later, in 1827, the ruler of this North African capital hit a French diplomat with a fly whisk, a pretext for the French to conquer the city, Jason got in that time and got it correct with what is Algiers. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just, if you guess the same thing every time, eventually it's going to be right. <laughs> I think that's a really good Jeopardy strategy. Yeah. Just proof rock every time. No. Um. Every time. Every <laughs> yes. Time. Let's see. Daily double number two is in the love category at the $1,600 level. Jason uncovers it at pick number 12. He's at 10,800. Kendra is at 2,800. And Stephen is at 13,600. He wagers 4,000. Gets a clue. This Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel takes place in South America amid the outbreak of disease. And he gets it correct with what is love in the time of cholera. Mm -hmm. So he takes the lead. Yeah. And then Stephen uncovers Daily Double number three. Just three clues later at I Have an Idea, the $1,200 level. At this point, Stephen is at 14400 Kendra's at 2800 Jason is at 14800 And Stephen wagers $7,000. Uh, it's a bold move. And he gets the clue. South Dakota State historian Doan Robinson's original idea for what became this was carvings of Western heroes, including Native Americans. And Stephen gets it correct. It's Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he reclaims the lead. Yep. The, the move pays off. Mm -hmm. there, which is good. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, good scores all around again. There's some good, there's been some good games. Kendra is at 10,800. Stephen is at 25,800. And Jason is at 19,200. The final Jeopardy category is the U.S. military. And the clue is losses over Asia in the 1960s led to the establishment of the program known as this at San Diego Naval Base in 1969. Kendra got it correct with what is Top Gun, which I learned today is a real thing. I, not just a movie. <laughs> that is so reassuring. <laughs> I was like, is it just me? Am I just the am I am I the one who who makes a whole trivia podcast and found out today that that wasn't just the name of a movie? 
Hey, there's no shame in not having been taught something. Mm-hmm. So she gets it correct. I wagered 2401. Jason wrote, what is B2? And wagered everything but a dollar. So he drops down. And Steven got it correct with what is Top Gun and added 12,601 to his total. So he wins with a big payday going into Thursday. Mm-hmm. And on Thursday, our contestants are Brad Weinstock, an actor from Hoboken, New Jersey, Allie Miller, a product manager from San Francisco, California, and Stephen Webb, a data scientist from Longmont, Colorado, whose one-day cash winnings total $38,401. And the Jeopardy round categories are an ancient wonder of the world, cars by the number, celebrity relatives, the letter after C, C is the first letter of the term that they are describing in each case, and you have to name the second letter. The force will be with you and always. All, always. Always. Yeah. Two words there. And it's references to places or phrases with the word way. The force will be with you with about like like physics forces. Mm-hmm. Not about like the the mystical force in in the star wars universe we had another be more specific in celebrity relatives the many saints of newark starred him as a younger version of tony soprano a role originated on tv by his dad james and brad rang in and tried out who is gandolfini yeah i'm like like, bold man they very clearly told you but they they did not make it they did not make it so explicit that they could just rule him wrong right Right. like so sure try it just just try it like make make ken work for him yeah ken is very gracious but like (laughs) come on man michael mike gandolfini Mm -hmm. is is the full name and brad does get it yes indeed uh, they did pretty well in the ancient wonder of the world category. Yeah. Had a rebound about the Colossus of Rhodes as mm-hmm. opposed to the statue of Zeus. Yep. Uh, there the was a clue. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, there was a clue with the 600. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yep. They knew the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, unlike some of us. Me. Unlike, Me. unlike some of us. <laughs> You know the mausoleum at Halicarnassus. I do. I know so much about the mausoleum you know at Halicarnassus now. Yes, you do. Yeah. Oh, they struggled with the Roman numerals at the mm. $600 level of the letter after C. In the Roman numeral for 400. Brad rang in and then couldn't think of it and ran out of time. It turned into a triple stumper. D. CD is 400. LCDM. Let Caesar destroy mountains is the mnemonic that I think was in like my math book or something. 50, 100, 500, 1000. Yeah. That is useful to remember because mm-hmm. D is the one that I always forget because I'm like, why would you have a 500? Yeah. That's just halfway between 100 and 1000. Well, it's not halfway, but <laughs> it's like, I guess 550 would be halfway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It seems like a weird one to have, but yeah, but yeah, it is, it is there. But like without it, how would you like, how would you, would you just keep adding C's? I don't know, Emily. I'm not Roman. <laughs> it's a pretty illogical system anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Totally logical to put a thing in front of another thing when it should be after it usually, except in this case where it should be in front of it. Uh-huh. I definitely want to have numbers in front of me that I have to parse before I can even say it out loud. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great system. Yeah, you hear that? Ancient Romans? 
Daily Devil number one is in The Force Will Be With You at the $600 level. Pick number nine, Steven finds it. Steven's at 1800 Ali's at 600 Brad is at 3400 and he bets it all. And he gets the clue. Two of nature's four fundamental forces are these two whose names are antonyms, one binding quarks and one leading to radioactive decay. And he gets it correct with what are strong and weak forces. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, he has moved himself into the lead at 10,200. Ali is at 1,800. Brad is at 4,400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, military men, same first and last letter geography, women authors, ranks and titles, Disney movie taglines, and plain and simple with those two words in quotation marks. Mm, I enjoyed the Disney movie taglines category. No one is surprised to hear. (laughs) The $1,200 clue. 1963, Merlin uses all his magic powers to change a scrawny boy into a legendary hero. I need to watch it again, because I don't seem to recall Merlin doing much of anything. Yeah, he was just kind of there. Yeah, he was Transforming into stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and having a... An owl named Archimedes, is that correct? Yes, is that right? yes, that okay. is correct. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I could have produced the owl's name, but yeah, no, you're 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 completely right. Yeah. The sixteen hundred dollar level twenty twelve when the arcade closes, the fun begins. That's Wreck It Ralph, which is a great movie. I love uh, Wreck It Ralph. Yeah. Disney World is about to open the Tron Light Cycle Run roller coaster, mm. which I've talked about with my kids a little bit. And recently I found out that my son thinks that it is a roller coaster based on a bit character from Wreck-It Ralph. Nice. <laughs> because Tron makes an appearance in Wreck-It mm-hmm. Ralph. And I'm like, no, no, no. Disney owned the, owned the Tron IP and could include it in Wreck-It Ralph, but like Tron is its own whole separate thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Tron, Tron's a Disney thing, but yeah, well, well before. Well uh-huh. before. Yes. I mean, there's a Tron, there's a Tron world in Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tron all over the place. $2,000 clue of military men was a, a clue about okay in 19 in a 1934 work de gaulle preferred a mobile army to this static defensive barrier setup versus a german attack chuck was right that's the maginot line we've talked about the maginot line we have we did you did a deep dive on I the did. maginot line it was great he, he was right in retrospect mm. i guess i mean anyway yeah uh, there was a, a moment at the $2000 level of women authors this native of jackson mississippi wrote the novel delta wedding about a southern plantation family brad rang in and said who is faulkner it was a triple stumper and ken said i think faulkner would have been or would be surprised to find himself in a woman's author category um Mm -hmm. brad said oh no i hope i don't go viral which is exactly the way you go viral right i mean that's like it's like catnip for the for like the jeopardy like social media staff (laughs) like let's turn that into a clip yeah, they're like, Let's all right, what do we that one? Right. What do we got today? What do we got today? And then a, a contestant says the word viral and they're like, well, here we go. My work here is done. Daily Double number two is in Disney movie taglines at the $800 level. And Brad finds this one at the fifth pick. He's at 6,800 with Steven at 11,400 and Allie at 1,800. He wagers 5,000. So he will take the lead if he is correct. And he gets the clue, 1950, Midnight Never Strikes When You're in Love. And he gets that one correct with Cinderella. Although, as Ken notes, Midnight (laughs) does in fact strike in Cinderella. So... They're not in love, clearly. 
Which makes sense because they literally they just, just met. met. Yeah. At, at best infatuation. And Daily Double number three is in same first and last letter geography at the $1,200 level. Pick number 21. And Brad finds it. He is at 14,200. Stephen's at 17,800. And Allie just hasn't been able to get in. She's at 1,000. Or he wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. Check out Akersus Fortress, begun in 1299 and a major landmark in this world capital. And he has nothing. They showed a picture. Mm hmm but he doesn't have a response. And that is all slow. Yes. Do you want to know the embarrassing way that I got myself around to the correct answer? It's because I know too many things about Disney World. I was like, Akersus, I have not heard of the location in the real world, but I do know that that is the name of a restaurant in the Norway Pavilion of of Epcot. So I guess I would go with the world capital, like the capital of Norway. I'm going to guess Oslo. Hey, there's no wrong way to know a thing. Go deep enough on literally anything you're interested in. And eventually (laughs) the tendrils will reach out into all domains Mm -hmm. of knowledge. Everything is connected. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Steven has a lot game with 21,800, just barely. Brad is at 10,600. So Steven is in a lock position by 600 bucks and Allie's at 2200. The final Jeopardy category is sports. And the clue is in 2010, they introduced the four point shot 35 feet from the basket. Allie tried who is the ABL. That is not correct. She wagered zero. So she stays at 2200. Brad tried who <laughs> is Ina Garten, the television chef. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it. That's not correct either. He wagered 511, dropping him down to 10,089. And Stephen was the one who got this one correct. He had, who are the Harlem Globetrotters? Mm-hmm. And a wager of 500. So not risking his lock. That gives him 22,300 for the game. Yep. And that brings us to Friday. <laughs> when we have the contestants, Will Travis, an accountant from Irving, Texas, Laura Donegan, a physician from Towson, Maryland, and Stephen Webb, a data scientist from Longmont, Colorado, whose two-day cash winnings are now $60,701. The Jeopardy round categories are in the nation's constitution, around America, cook the books, stay cool, the Champions League, and word and word plus. Each response will be two words, a shorter one than a longer one. For example, rug and rug rugged. Cook the books was kind of a wacky category. I mean, it was all cookbook related, but I feel like we bounced around among classics, like celebrity, like book deals, like gimmicky stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. We had the King Arthur Flower Company all purpose baking cookbook at the $200 level. So like a, like a, like a corporate like a right. branded one yeah sort of ran the gamut of yeah. styles of cookbook yeah i did not schemes. do i did not do well oh i, I, I mean I, I did okay the ones that were like you didn't actually need to know much about it but i i knew well the thousand dollar one i thought to myself I think it's Fanny Farmer, but I have no particular reason to think that, so I wouldn't ring in, but then it was Fanny Farmer. Still around today, her original 1896 Boston Cooking School cookbook contained at least two recipes calling for a calf's head. Yeah. Fanny Farmer, I don't know how I knew that name, but I don't know, looked at enough cooking and cookbook stuff that it just was there somehow. 
Yeah. There's some weird things in the nation's constitution for sure. Mm, yeah. Like the, like the $400 clue on its land, Moses grew up, the light of God appeared and the message descended on Mount Sinai. Stephen guessed where is Israel, which like geographically is incorrect, but thematically seems right. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. And Will got it with Egypt. I, that is surprising to me that that's in the Egyptian constitution. Because Egypt doesn't really come off super great. In that story right? for in one. Story, and, also, yeah. and also like Egypt for a very long time has been a majority Muslim, especially yeah. being like ruled by, you know, the, the Muslim brotherhood. It feels weird to me that that would be in the constitution. So I don't, I don't know unless, unless they're, Unless the Quran is like cool with the story of Moses, it might be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Could be. there oh. there's overlap, right? Because Islam like sort of sees itself descended from Abraham, but like Ish, like Abraham's son Ishmael, not Abraham's son Isaac. Mm-hmm. But then there are some points of overlap, right? Like the whole story of Jonah appears yeah. in the Quran, and there's some like Jesus and Mary stuff there yeah. um, so maybe it, but maybe like, yeah maybe uh, it, i don't know it it seems it just seems kind of you know judeo-christian yeah for me. No, yeah that, it was that, just interesting that, to me that surprised me as well and i it, like my knee-jerk reaction was israel before i was like wait that doesn't fit narratively with moses grew up right and the message descended on mount sinai right that's mm-hmm. yeah I got a kick out of the $200 level of around America. A Fargo visitor center displays one of these machines, the eager beaver model in a Coen brothers film. <laughs> That's a wood chipper. Lean into it. Which Fargo. Is, yes, prominent plot point. Yes. Yes. Also definitely. I mean, I, why some people go to Fargo. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself passing through Fargo, I don't know how many people find themselves passing through Fargo, but you can check it out. Daily Double number one is the 15th pick at the $1,000 level of Around America. Will finds it. He is at zero with Steven at 1400 and Laura at 600. I guess we've been we've been struggling a little bit. There have been a lot of right answers, but also some wrong answers. Mm-hmm. He wagers 1000 and gets the clue while in the city belly up to the bar at the saloon called the horse you came in on which has a seat designated pose last stop and he gets it correct it's baltimore kyle you did a deep dive on edgar Allan poe a while back yeah a long time ago Mm -hmm. my son sat right up at this clue and said poe like edgar Allan poe (laughs) because his chorus sang like a spooky song about the works of Edgar Allan Poe. So, yeah. Uh, he feels a special connection now, although he has read none of the works of Edgar Allan Poe, and we're keeping it that way for another year or two at least. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe there's some, like... There, maybe, that would be yeah. hard to access. Yeah. With the language. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, some of them are definitely not age appropriate anyway at the end of the jeopardy round steven is at four thousand will is at three thousand and laura is at two thousand so round so satisfying and the double jeopardy categories are memoirs of government and politics myth congeniality science actors playing playwrights time to go big and sometimes a little is enough with little in quotation marks i enjoyed the myth category yeah i got most of them and some of them because like we've talked about them i mean i probably would have 
gotten Pegasus, but I remember I remember talking about that and that Pegasus is like the name of a specific horse, not yep. as many people think like just a, a a winged horse in general, right? Yeah. There is but one Pegasus. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sprung out of Medusa's neck. Because, you know, that just happens. And that's just a little <laughs> footnote in that story, right? Yes. Like, then Perseus cuts off her head. Then, oh, by the way, a winged horse jumps out of it. And then he takes her head and goes back and finishes the story. Wait, wait, what? What? Go back. Well, hang on. Hang on. Wait, what did you say? Go back for a second. <laughs> what? He cut off her head. Yeah, but after that. Well, then he put it in a bag. No, 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 no. Like, between that, you said something <laughs> that's pretty wild. I mean, I know it's a myth anyway, but, like, you said something. Oh, yeah, yeah. there's a horse. With wings. Mm-hmm. Ah, got it. Yeah. I like the actors playing playwrights category. And there were a bunch of things yeah. there that we've talked about recently. There, we had some yeah. 2004 Finding Neverland. Johnny Depp played this playwright and creator of Neverland, J.M. Barry. He came up quite a bit like last week mm-hmm. because he was, his career overlapped with Milne's. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm always on about Shakespeare and love. Always. Always. Rupert Everett was in that one I, with an uncredited role as this contemporary of Shakespeare. I did not realize, I mean, I guess I, I don't, I'm not like <laughs> paying attention to the credits, paying attention to who and who, who is and is not listed in the credits. But anyway, yeah, Rupert Effort played Marlowe. Daily Double number two is in the science category at the $1,200 level. Pick number four, Stephen finds it. He is at 6,400. Laura is at 400. Will is at 4,600. And he bets it all. I like it. Mm-hmm. The clue is water boiling and turning into steam is an example of an isobaric process, meaning this remains constant. And he gets it correct with what is pressure. So he doubles the score. And Daily Double number three is in the myth congeniality category at the $1,200 level. We'll find this one at the 12th pick. He has 10,200 with Stephen at 12,800 and Laura at 1,600. He wagers 6,000 looking to take the lead and he gets the clue accidentally grazed by one of Cupid's arrows. Venus fell in love with this handsome youth and he can't come up with it. He tries who is Narcissus, but Adonis is the figure we are looking for here. The other handsome youth. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, that, that big attempt kind of took Will out of it and gave Steven a lot of breathing room. So he's in a locked position at 23,200. Laura is at 4,800. Will is at 7,400. We have the final Jeopardy category, National Parks. And the clue, it's named for a river indigenous people called Mitse Adasi, translated by French-speaking trappers as Pierre Jean? Jean. 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 Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. Laura wrote what is question mark and that is not correct wagered everything but a dollar will got it correct with what is yellowstone and wagered 2201 as a cover bet for second place and steven did not know it he guessed three question marks i don't think any number of question marks is correct but maybe two Mm -hmm. would have been and he wagered or four but we know it's not one or three and he wagered 3270 Mm-hmm. And it drops to nineteen nine thirty. That must be an important number, or maybe he's just having fun. But yeah. he wins his third day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pierre Jaune. Jaune is yellow, and Pierre. If you if you happen to remember that the name, the Pierre is the French version of Peter. Peter and Peter means rock or stone, right? I don't know if that maybe that may be a 
overly circuitous way of getting there, but that's how I worked myself around to Yellowstone. Nice. Yeah. I didn't even bother. (laughs) 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 I mean, I probably, I probably could have gotten to like, okay, you know, what are national parks named for rivers? There, there are some, there actually aren't terribly yeah. A lot, but I, I, it's like two languages I don't know. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is not for me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Stephen wins end of the week. And starting on Monday will be the high school reunion tournament for a couple of weeks, bringing mm. back contestants from previous teen tournaments to compete again. Hmm. So Stephen will have a couple of weeks off, at least in terms of taping. And we will get to see some youths on stage. And I believe Mayim Bialik is hosting that tournament starting next week. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the week. And this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potent potables. One of our patrons just commented just before we started recording on something that I said and made me feel very nice because they related to something I said. So... Anyway, yeah, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables if you want to go there and uh, sign up for a monthly contribution to help us pay for the cost of making the podcast. We're trying out a new program to kind of hopefully streamline the audio editing. Hopefully it doesn't make the audio quality worse. It just makes it faster. So, you know, things like that cost money. So that's what we use the Patreon money for is just like, you know, paying for that, hosting the website, all of that. Mm -hmm. But of course... Our podcast is not quite as important as some other things that are going on in the world. So if you want to direct your money there, we encourage you to look at the show notes and check out some of the causes that we believe in and support. Mm -hmm. Emily. Yes, Kyle. I believe we have had two correct deep dive guesses. we're, we're, We're getting real predictable here. Are we talking about the Navajo? We are not talking about the Navajo. Okay. Are we talking about Eudora Welty? We're not talking about Eudora Welty, though it definitely crossed my mind. Okay. I don't think you're doing Fanny Farmer. I would be interested to hear a deep dive about her because her name was in my brain and I don't know anything about her. But I'm not guessing Fanny Farmer. I'm going to guess John Singer Sargent. Ooh, close, but no. And by close, I mean close in my brain and I'll explain why. No, I'm going to be going back to the Monday game, the $2,000 level of botany. In a 1771 experiment, this British scientist discovered that plants give off what turned out to be oxygen. That was a triple stumper. That's Joseph Priestley. Now, Mm. I said John Singer Sargent was close because John Singer Sargent was a correct response in one of my Jeopardy games. It was the one against Amanda and Bucky. I believe Bucky got that one. But no, Joseph Priestley was a missed clue, was a triple stumper in one of my games that I missed. That was the the game against Jordan and Jonathan back on September 19th, 2018. That clue was another $2,000 clue. The American Chemical Society's highest award honors this British oxygen discoverer who fled to America in 1794. And I don't know why I have it in my head that John Dalton is like connected to oxygen specifically but I have for a long time. So I guessed who is Dalton, but that's Joseph Priestley. So when that was a triple stumper this week, I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn about who this guy is. Mm-hmm. This jokester who keeps showing up on Jeopardy. So that's what I'm going to talk about is Joseph Priestley. Nice. All right. It turns out there's a lot to it. I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff 
from his life because he like goodness gracious for a guy that I knew nothing about before there's a lot to know so we'll we'll jump right into it Joseph Priestley was born on March 24th 1733 died February 6th 1804 he was an English chemist natural philosopher, separatist theologian, grammarian, multi-subject educator, and liberal political theorist. He published over 150 works and conducted experiments in electricity and other areas of science. He is credited with his independent discovery of oxygen by the thermal decomposition of mercuric oxide, having isolated it in 1774. However, as we'll talk about, it is likely that he was not actually the first to discover oxygen. He may have just been the first to publish about it. He also invented some other things like carbonated water. He did a lot of experiments with electricity, like I said, and he worked in close association with Benjamin Franklin. He discovered several different kinds of gases, including, like I said, oxygen. However, as he went on in his life, the scientific scientific community kind of left him behind. But like I also mentioned, his like he was a, a theological writer. He was a minister for a while. He tried to fuse enlightenment rationalism with Christian theism, and he uh, attempted to combine theism, materialism, determinism, and a bunch of other isms, and eventually helped, led him to help found Unitarianism in England. Mm. Uh, he l- moved to America as the clue, as my, from, from my game stated, and that was where he lived out the last of his life. So we'll get into some details. He was born in Burstall in the West Riding of Yorkshire to an established English dissenting family who did not conform to the Church of England. So dissenters in England at this time were just people who they're Protestants who separated from the Church of England in the 17th and 18th century. He was the oldest of six children born to Mary Swift and Jonas Priestley, who is a finisher of cloth which is part of the textile industry. He was sent to live with his grandfather around the age of one. He returned home five years later after his mother died. And then he went to live with his aunt and uncle, the wealthy and childless Sarah and John Keeley in Fieldhead. He was a very intelligent child. He loved to read. He could flawlessly recite all 107 questions and answers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism by the age of four. And so his aunt sought the best education for him, intending him to enter the ministry. So he learned Greek, Latin, and Hebrew at a young age. Around 1794, he became seriously ill and believed he was dying. Because he was raised as a Calvinist, he believed that a conversion experience was necessary for salvation. He was at the age of 16 at this point, but he doubted that he had had one. And this emotional distress eventually led him to question his theological upbringing. Mm, And he then... And then he rejected election and accepted universal salvation. However, because of that, the elders of his home church, the independent upper chapel of Heckmundwijk, Heckmundwijk, I don't know, refused to him admission as a full member. His illness also left him with a permanent stutter, and he gave up thoughts of entering the ministry at that time. So instead, he looked to prepare for a, a career in trade in Lisbon. So he studied French, Italian, and German as well as Aramaic and Arabic. Through that tutoring, he was also introduced to higher math, natural philosophy, logic, metaphysics, and the works of Isaac Watts, William Gravesend, and John Locke. He eventually decided to return to theological studies and matriculated at Daventry in 1752, which was a dissenting academy. He was allowed to omit the first two years of coursework because he had already read so much, and he studied intensely, and he shifted his theology further left and became a rational dissenter. He disliked dogma and religious mysticism 
and emphasized rational analysis of the natural world and the Bible. He encountered the book that he said influenced him the most other than the Bible, which was David Hartley's Observations on Man. So it has things like the doctrines of vibration and things like that. It's it's a psychological, philosophical, and theological treatise, which postulated theory of mind. And Hartley's aim was to construct a Christian philosophy in which both religious and moral facts could be scientifically proven. And so Priestley really got into that. So after he finished at Daventry, he went to Needham Market, which is a small town in Suffolk, and did not fit in well there. His heterodoxy did not sit well with the congregation. He was looking for big, grand, you know, theological debates. And this small town was really just looking for someone to kind of run the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so his Daventry friends helped him get to a more copacetic place at Nantwich in Cheshire in 1758. So he was able to establish a school there. He taught his students natural philosophy, brought in scientific instruments, and he wrote his own grammar book since he didn't like the quality of the available books. After that, he went to Warrington in Cheshire and assumed the post of tutor of modern languages and rhetoric at their dissenting academy, even though he would have preferred to teach math and natural philosophy. He made friends there, and during that time, he married Mary Wilkinson of Wrexham, who he very much enjoyed. Of his marriage, he wrote, This proved a very suitable and happy connection, my wife being a woman of excellent understanding, much improved by reading, of great fortitude and strength of mind, and of a temper in the highest degree, affectionate and generous, feeling strongly for others and little for herself. Which is great. It's like awesome. Yeah. And then he follows that up with also greatly excelling in everything related to household affairs. She entirely relieved me of all concern of that kind, which allowed me to give me all my time to the prosecution of my studies and other duties of my station. So good. (laughs) But he clearly loved her. They had a daughter in 1763 who they named Sarah after Priestley's aunt. While at Warrington, everything that he published emphasized the study of history. He considered it essential for worldly success as well as religious growth. He wrote a an, his essay on a course of liberal education for civil and active life in 1765 and lectures on history and general policy in 1788. He recommended modern languages instead of classical languages and modern rather than ancient history in not only education, but also theology. He narrated a providentialist and naturalist account of history, arguing that the study of history furthered the comprehension of God's natural laws. His work, the lectures on history, was well-received and employed by many educational institutions, including the New College at Hackney, Brown, Princeton, Yale, and Cambridge. During this time at Warrington, apparently Warrington was often called the Athens of the North of England. He also, as I said, gained an interest in natural philosophy, and in particular, during this time, he became very interested in electricity. So he looked at a lot of the experiments and, and met a number of the experimenters in England at the time, including visiting Benjamin Franklin. They consulted together about Franklin's kite experiments, in fact. In 1767, he wrote a 700-page book called The History and Present State of Electricity, which got good reviews. The first half of the text is a history of the study of electricity up to that point. And the second was a description of contemporary theories about electricity and suggestions for future research. It became kind of the standard book on electricity for about 100 years. His strength as a natural philosopher was qualitative rather than quantitative, and his observation of a current of real air between two electrified points would later interest Michael Faraday and James Clerk Maxwell as they investigated electromagnetism. This work was also used by Alessandro Volta, who would invert the ba- er, invent the battery, William Herschel, who discovered infrared radiation, and Henry Cavendish, who discovered hydrogen. 
Very important book. After Warrington, he moved to Leeds, prompted by his wife's health or financial problems, not sure which, or a desire to prove himself to the community that had rejected him in his childhood. He became Mill Hill Chapel's minister. They had two more sons while they were there, Joseph Jr. and William. And he wrote a few, he, he made a few publications of theology. However, he did not end up making, having much contact with his family living around Leeds. It is possible or probable that they considered him a heretic. When he became the Mill Hill Chapel minister, he kind of had the idea that he would be able to reunite this congregation. It was one of the oldest and most respected dissenting congregations in England, but they had fallen apart over doctrinal lines, and they were losing members to the Methodist movement. And so he thought that by educating the young, he could strengthen the bonds of the congregation. So while he was there, he published his Institutes of Natural and Revealed Religion, which kind of laid out how you would in- instruct religion for people. He laid out his belief in Socinianism. Socinianism? Yeah. Suck. Suck. Socinianism? I don't know. Their name, it's named for a couple of Italian Renaissance humanists, Leo Socini and Fausto Socini. And those doctrines would become the standards for Unitarians later on in Britain. And so that kind of paved the way for his belief that a divine being acts in accordance with necessary metaphysical laws, which is under materialism and necessitarianism. These are fun words. He got in trouble with a lot of people, particularly because that that work institutes some basic Christian orthodoxies, such as the divinity of Christ and the miracle of the virgin birth. And so his argument was like, well, if we look at the real world that we live in, those don't jive, right? But then most people would be like, but that's not the point of it, right? So it, it went went in the face and a lot of people had a lot of issue with it. The fourth part of the Institutes was a history of the corruptions of Christianity, which outlined his belief that since primitive Christianity, there had been increasing, you know, corruptions from people looking to gain power or mislead people or whatever. So yeah, naturally he was he was a contentious figure. And of course he was a defender of the dissenters. And apparently there were there were some English acts during that time from the from the government, of course, in favor of the Church of England and putting restrictions on dissenting and things like that. So even though Priestley claimed that natural philosophy was only a hobby, he took it seriously. In his history of electricity, he described the scientist as promoting the security and happiness of mankind. So I already talked about his work with electricity. He also did work in optics published the first volume of his projected history of experimental philosophy, which was the history and present state of discoveries relating to vision, light, and colors in 1772. He gave a history of it, like I said. However, his mathematical deficiencies caused him to dismiss several important contemporary theories. He was considered for the position of astronomer on James Cook's second voyage to the South Seas, but was not chosen. However, he did contribute to the voyage. He gave the crew a method for making carbonated water, which he erroneously speculated might be a cure for scurvy. It wasn't. But then he published a pamphlet called Directions for Impregnating Water with Fixed Air. And although Priestley did not follow through with the commercial potential of carbonated water, people like J.J. Schwepp did and made fortunes. In fact, Priestley has been labeled the father of the soft drink and the Schwepp's company regards him as the father of our industry. He received the Copley Medal in 1773 from the Royal Society. In 1773, they moved to Calm in Wiltshire. And a year later, Lord Shelburne, the local lord, took him on a tour of Europe. At this point, he wrote his most important philosophical works, 
in a series of major metaphysical texts, such as an examination of Dr. Reed's inquiry into the human mind from 1774, Hartley's theory of the human mind on the principle of association of ideas from 1775, disquisitions relating to matter and spirit in 1777, the doctrine of philosophical necessity illustrated in 1777, and letters to a philosophical unbeliever in 1780. So through that, he argues about determinism, materialism, causation, and necessitarianism. By studying the natural world, he argued, people would learn how to become more compassionate, happy, and prosperous. His friend Theophilus Lindsay decided to found a new Christian denomination that would not restrict its members' beliefs. Priestley ran to his aid. On 17th of April, 1774, Lindsay held the first Unitarian service in Britain at the newly formed Essex Street Chapel in London. He even designed his own literature, many of which were critical. Priestley defended his friend in the pamphlet Letter to a Layman on the subject of the Reverend Mr. Lindsay's proposal for a reformed English church, claiming that only the form of worship had been altered, not its substance, and attacking those who followed religion as a fashion. He continued to support institutionalized Unitarianism for the rest of his life. His years in Colin were the only ones in his life that were dominated by scientific investigations, um, and they were mostly scientifically fruitful. So this is when he did his experiments on airs, what he called airs, which is really gases. Six volumes of experiments and observations on different kinds of airs from 1774 to 1786 were published during this time. Like I mentioned, he discovered or isolated oxygen gas. However, he stuck with phlogiston theory, which is a, it's a superseded theory, which means we don't believe it anymore, which postulated that the existence of a fire-like element called phlogiston was contained within combustible bodies and released during combustion. So that if something could burn, it was because it had phlogiston in it or phlogiston or whatever, however you pronounce it. By 1800, like by the end of Priestley's life, most of the like chemists and Nat, I guess natural scientists who were doing this work had pretty much moved on from phlogiston theory, but he stuck to it. In 1780, they moved to Birmingham and spent a happy decade surrounded by friends, but they were forced to flee in 1791 by religiously motivated mob violence in what became known as the Priestly Riots. So he had accepted a ministerial position at New Meeting on the condition that he be required to preach and teach only on Sundays so that he would have time for his writing and scientific experiments. Just like you, right? It always starts like that. Yep, he, <laughs> no, he, he, not, that is not, that's not my role, but uh, <laughs> that, that sounds, sounds uh, nice. Yeah. He began teaching classes for the youth of his parish, and he was elected a foreign honorary member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1782. During this time, other the, we kind of get into the chemical revolution during the 1780s and late 1770s. We get people like Antoine Lavoisier, the French chemist who also may have discovered oxygen or also like worked on gunpowder for the, the French military and a bunch of other things. Lavoisier is a very important chemist as well, but Priestley refused to accept Lavoisier's new chemistry because it, it moved away from airflot theory and also focused on conservation of mass. But the rest of the community moved forward and Priestley did not. So I mentioned religious riots going on. In 1791, there had been a lot of animus building toward the dissenters because the dissenters tended to support American and French revolutions. Several dissenters were going to have a celebratory dinner in July 1791 to celebrate the anniversary of the storming of the Bastille. A bunch of pro-monarchists took issue with that. They ambushed the dissenters. Priestley had been planning to attend, but he was convinced not to. 26 dissenters' homes and three churches were burned in the three-day riot. He spent several days hiding with his friends until he was 
able to travel safely to London. And then they left there and moved to Hackney, Middlesex, for a few years, where he gave some lectures at the Dissenting Academy, but eventually moved to Pennsylvania. They arrived in New York on 4th of June, 1794, where various political factions tried to get Priestley's endorsement, but he was having none of that. He didn't want to deal with political discord in this new country. He just left that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they went to Philadelphia for a bit, where he gave some servant sermons, which led to the founding of the first Unitarian Church of Philadelphia. And then they moved out to the country, backwoods of Northumberland County. In his older age, he became sort of a figure through his writings in America. He defended Christian Unitarianism. He wrote some scientific writings that the American Chemical Society and other organizations were you know, into. But he also kind of got himself tangled up in a maybe conspiracy or or just like a suspicion that he was a spy working in the interest of France and it caused, caused some issues. And so the, the, the end of his life was had some, had some family drama between one son and a sister-in-law and another person. But uh, in addition to that, Thomas Jefferson sought his advice in founding the University of Virginia, and they became rather close. In fact, Priestley dedicated his general history of the Christian church to President Jefferson, writing that, It is now only that I can say I see nothing to fear from the hand of power, the government under which I live being for the first time truly favorable to me. He did some work on spontaneous generation and dreams in his late life, but by 1801 he had become so ill that he could no longer write or experiment, and he died February 6, 1804, age 70. And he is buried at Riverview Cemetery in Northumberland, Pennsylvania. So real quick, I mentioned that he is credited with the, as the first to discover oxygen, but that's not necessarily true. He was the first to publish about it. However, Lavoisier and Swedish pharmacist Carl Wilhelm Scheele, they both have strong claims to the discovery of oxygen. Scheele was the first to isolate the gas even though he published after Priestley and Lavoisier was the first to describe it as purified air itself entirely without alteration, which rejected phlogiston theory. So he was really the first one to actually explain oxygen as what it is, but this is all around the same time. So big discoveries for Priestley, oxygen worked in electricity and a major theologian. So there we go. That's Joseph Priestley. Lots of information. Yeah, I, Lots I, of had, I had no idea. Neither did I. And when I was like, well, I'm going to talk about him. And then I started looking into it. I'm like, oh, my God, it did so much. Yeah. But now I know. And hopefully I won't miss that again on Jeopardy. <laughs> so let's do a quiz. All right. Let's do a quiz. Okay. So these are just all based on things from Priestley as a person. So here we go. Question number one. Oxygen. A small liquid-fueled rocket was successfully launched on March 16th, 1926 in Auburn, Massachusetts. Over the previous three years, an American scientist developed an engine that used gasoline for fuel and liquid oxygen as the oxidizer. Who was that inventor, who I learned today, has nothing to do with a network of early childhood providers? Yeah, the father of American rocketry, Robert Goddard. That would be the father of American rocketry, Robert Goddard. And I never really thought about it, but in fact, the Goddard School has nothing to do with him. Not a single thing. No. Lois um, Goddard? Lois something? Lois Goddard? I don't know. I did Something else. Jimmy Neutron's robot dog, Goddard, 
I think is named after Robert Goddard, right? Presumably. I don't uh, know. You would know better than I would. <laughs> Neutron <laughs> is not something I've thought about in many decades. <laughs> so nice job. You were at 10 points. All right. Question two. Dissenters. Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization exposed liars and hypocrites on the Supreme Court of the United States when six justices ruled to overturn established abortion protections from Roe v. Wade, despite their assurances that they would not do that specific thing. Who were the three decent people that wrote a joint dissenting opinion? Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. All right. Let's see. It's probably Kagan, Sotomayor, and another one who's left on the Supreme I'll give you points for those two because the other one is Breyer who isn't on anymore. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the, the, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I was so yeah. Breyer's harder because you can't picture him now. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to remember like the order in which people have retired. And I was like, it's you know, like, it was like Stevens Breyer. Like who are like, who, like who's still like, I was, I was remembering like who were the kind of like liberal, liberal wing and like who's left right. from, from it. Holden, Holden strong still. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes. So those, those are the three and they, they wrote a joint dissenting opinion. They did not, it was not just one of them writing the dissenting opinion. Yeah. All right. 20 points. Question three, electricity. The electric slide was listed by Line Dancer magazine as the number one dance in the world from 1989 to 1999. The dance was created by choreographer Rick Silver in 1976 based on a song by Bunny Waller. That song is not titled Electric Slide, but Electric What? The word can be found in other titles alongside Jungle, Wonderland, and Fever. Ah, it's Boogie. It is boogie. Yeah, it is boogie. It's the electric boogie, which I don't know that the word boogie even appears in that song. I think it like, does. Does it? I think it does. Okay. I mean, I mean, I haven't looked up the lyrics, but yeah, it shocked me. I was, I was floored that the song is not called Electric Slide. Anyway, maybe it doesn't. And that's like, I like I said, I didn't look it up, but I did go back to childhood Kyle who. Listen to that song an awful lot. Yeah. Like more than I'm actually comfortable with at this point. <laughs> Thinking back on it, I was like, why did I listen to that song? Like, while not in music class doing the electric slide. Like, why did I yeah. just listen to it? Anyway, and it's not a bad song. Anyway, nice. Yes. Electric Boogie. You have 30 points. All right. Question four. Natural philosophy. Natural philosophy was the umbrella term for a variety of sciences, including physics, optics, chemistry, botany, anthropology, and others. Over the millennia, scientists and thinkers pointed to which great tutor of ancient Greece as the first natural philosopher? Which great tutor of ancient Greece as the first natural philosopher? Great tutor is making me think about the Socratic method. So I feel like there's a few different ways I could go with this. And I sort of think of Aristotle as more like sciency. But I'm going to go Socrates. It's Aristotle. Ah, darn it. Okay. I, I, yeah, my clue there for great tutor was he was the tutor for Alexander the Great. Uh, Right, of course, that makes sense. 
So, I mean, you got really close without that. <laughs> that yeah. method, so nice job. But yeah, it was Aristotle is kind of pointed at as like the beginner of natural philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've still got 30 points. Five, Unitarianism. Priestley was important to the founding of English Unitarianism. The beginning of Unitarianism as a faith seems to have occurred almost simultaneously among the Polish brethren, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and in what principality that was especially relevant to my last deep dive. What principality that was especially relevant to your last deep dive, which of course, I remember what the topic of that deep dive was. I just edited it like mere moments ago. Two weeks. Do do you want me to tell you? I'll just tell you. It was Nosferatu. Oh, right. Ugh. At the time, it was a principality. It is not a principality anymore. Now I'm second-guessing whether I know what principality means. Could just say region. Yeah. Place. Well, Nosferatu was in Germany. What was Germany at that time? We could be doing like a Nosferatu goes to like Dracula goes to like I don't is it Romania? I don't know. Having a hard time making a decision. Okay. Um, we'll say that something you have said is getting you is is the right direction. Alright. Alright. My European history is so bad. I feel like Germany was the whole or, or parts of it were were part of the Holy Roman Empire at that point. Point? I can say this right. is back in the uh, 16th century, mid 16th century. Oh, jeez! If that helps, if it doesn't help, just ignore it then. Mid 16th century, like I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna talk myself around to something better than the Holy Roman Empire. Hold on, let me. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell yeah. you that That's, that is not a principality. Yeah, no, that okay. Is an empire. Wait. Okay, so hold on. Church- smaller than that. Yeah. For some reason, like, Prussia is presenting itself from church history classes. I have no idea if that's right. All right, let's go with Prussia. It's Transylvania. Oh, it's Transylvania. Oh, no. Ah, okay. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. I mean, Prussia is probably correct for... I'm trying to remember the cities that... Nosferatu was kind of like based in might have been Prussia, might have been Bavaria. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. The first Unitarian denomination that is known at the time was the Unitarian Church of Transylvania. Huh. I saw that. I was like, that is is very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Transylvania has more than just vampires. Unless Unitarians are vampires. I don't know. I'm not Unitarian. Yeah. So. All right, you're at 30 points. Sorry, those were those ones were a little bit harder than... No, that's, that normal, was good. But our final category is carbonation. Let's wager all 30. Why not? Okay. As I mentioned, Priestley invented carbonated water, but never used it for commercial success. It seems that success will lead corporations to experiment in increasingly horrific and inhumane ways. For instance... PepsiCo has introduced a punny abomination just in time for spring and Easter by combining their carbonated base with the flavor of what confection? Oh no! Is it is it peep? Is it peeps? Is it peeps? Peeps? It is. <laughs> it is peeps, and it is peepsy. Oh no! Oh no! 
What kind of god would allow this? I would try it once. I um, probably would too, to be honest. <laughs> that's probably what they were thinking. <laughs> like, if we can get but, yeah. people it's, to try it, you this can, for the clout. <laughs> exactly. You can, it is a limited time run. They're like, people just need to buy one and we'll be good. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, you, you brought it home strong. You got 60 points. Way to go. <laughs> this, was, this was so fun. I, I would never have guessed that I would miss the the questions about unitarianism but get the ones about science and carbonated beverages, carbonated beverages. <laughs> yeah but hey this is this was great and i know so much more about oh my gosh i'm about to miss his first name joseph priest right there are other priestlies <laughs> yes apparently uh-huh. i also discovered so yes yeah um, yeah the, the the one that that keeps coming up in my brain unhelpfully is the actor jason priestley also yep. starts with a j whole yep. different came across person. came across a lot of jason priestley as i yep. was looking at mm-hmm. stuff <laughs> yeah well hey thanks for making a podcast with me of course. Um, and thank you listeners for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who are into jeopardy let them know about our podcast you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. Mm-hmm. And Kyle will be back next week with a guest Indeed. host, TBD. TBD. Yes. And, and I'll see you all, or, you know, catch you all in a couple weeks. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. <laughs>